It's new old friends again with Heather and Ferg, and it's comedy whodunits for your ears. Yesterday was fun, wasn't it? Not enough epic poetry these days. I was actually inspired to write it by Have You Heard George's Podcast? I haven't. What's it called? Have You Heard George's Podcast? I just said I haven't, but I'll look it up. What's it called? That's its name, Heather. Oh. It's absolutely brilliant. It's a huge, sprawling poetry and binaural sound extravaganza. Sounds amazing. It is. Now, before we crack on, I want to say a happy birthday to my sister. Oh, yes. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Don't know if she's listening to this, but she does love a quiz. She does. So, hashtag Noth quiz time. Question 11. True or false? Shane McGowan, lead singer of the Pogues, was born on Christmas Day. Answers on social media or through the website where you can also buy us a virtual coffee if you so desired. No pressure, but huge pressure to please, please, please go and rate the podcast on iTunes. Yes, yes, yes. Five stars. Uh, And even if you've done it before, they still count and help us combat the algorithm. Fight the algorithm. On with episode 11 of Crimes, Crews and Christmas. Ding, ding. Crimes, Clues and Christmas Chapter 11 I'd amassed just enough information to interest O'Rowby's detective's brain. He suggested we start our investigation by taking a look up in the flies at where the sandbag had come loose. You know me well, faithful listener. I'm not a man easily scared or intimidated by anything much, but I'll confess to perhaps having the slightest of misgivings around heights. Actually, heights are fine. I've been in many a penthouse and not given it a moment's thought. No, no, what particularly exercises my mind are edges at heights. Any exposed edge more than six feet up in the air, and I find myself fixated on the potential for someone, specifically yours truly, to easily stumble and fall, plummeting into the abyss beyond. Now, some scamps will tell you that the fall doesn't hurt you. It's the landing that does. To them, I should very much like to demonstrate that by that logic, a punch doesn't hurt you, just the impact, and unload a good number of them directly into their smirking little faces. Anyway, now that I've confessed to a slight battle with vertigo, you can fully appreciate how manful and brave it was of me to ascend the vertical metal ladder which took us up to the gantry or fly floor of the theatre. You can also only imagine my horror when I found out that the entire floor was made of metal mesh and was practically all edge. Just a series of walkways, no more than a metre across, traversing back and forth across the stage below. You, being of kind heart and sound mind, recognise that this would put a chap with a condition such as I've described in a position of some vulnerability, and would never have taunted me the way O'Rowby was taunting me in his grating voice. Sure, Artridge, you'll need to move quicker than that or we'll be up here all day. Come on with yourself, man. It's a perfectly sturdy construction. You're not going to plummet to your death here. To illustrate his faith in the metalwork, he began leaping up and down, sending shockwaves through the mesh which nearly made me lose my lunch onto the stage metres below. Please desist your bouncing, Inspector Arrowby. It's having a deleterious effect on my digestive system, I said. Or I meant to say. What came out may have been more along the lines of Stop bloody bouncing or I'll be spewing my guts up from a great height! All right, all right, calm down, Artridge. Jeez, you're not much fun. I assure you, I'm much more engaging at ground level, Inspector. Shall we get on with it? It fell from over there. I indicated the area with a jerk of my head and instantly regretted the motion which sent my vision swimming again. By God! exclaimed O'Rowby. What is it? Is the platform coming loose from its mooring? Oh, dear God, are we falling? Are we falling? Are we falling, Inspector? No, of course not. Come over here and look. You were right. 
I didn't like the sound of come over here, given that the inspector was stood almost above centre stage, farthest from the relative comfort of the walls. But I did like the sound of you were right. And so I painstakingly made my way towards him. My foot caught something a bit slippery just as I neared my destination, causing a brief return of the phantom shrieker which had haunted Richtenstein, but my journey was worth it. Look at this, said O'Rowby, holding up the end of a length of rope. The other end was still threaded through its winch. The rope was severed somehow. I'll say it again, Mr. Artridge. You were right. Miss Daisy Love's death wasn't accidental. She was murdered. I'm not willing to go that far yet. It could be a prank gone wrong, I suppose. It's a heck of a way to kill someone. An awful lot of things would have to line up for it to kill her. But we're looking at manslaughter, at the least. Blimey. I can't understand how nobody down there saw who cut the rope, though. You'd have thought this mesh was easy enough to see through, wouldn't you? He mused. It's certainly easy enough to see down through, I replied, with another lurch in my stomach. You wait here, Artridge. I'm going to hop down the ladder and take a look up to see what I can see. Um, no, 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 no. Two, two pairs of eyes are better than one and all that. I'll come too. I added hastily. But then there won't be anyone up here for us to see. Which is what the witnesses say they saw, you see. But we don't know if what they said they saw is what they saw, or if there was anyone here for them to say they saw if they did see something. I think you lost me somewhere around the seven seas there, Inspector. But here's the crux of the thing. I'm going down. Now. And I was as good as my word. I shuffled back over to the ladder and made my descent. O'Ralby chuntering away behind me as he followed. Brody, I can't. With my feet on solid ground, I had a realisation like a light bulb turning on in my mind, which was appropriate enough because it needed a light bulb to be turned on out here. If we want to see what the witnesses saw, we'll need the lights on, Inspector. They are on, Artridge. There are no windows in here, so without the lights on, it'll be pitch black. Did you just think you'd been eating your carrots? He scoffed. No. Those are working lights. When the sandbag fell, the stage lights were on. They hang just under the floor we were walking on, and so the witnesses would have been looking up directly into them. Right. You're right again, Artridge, O'Ralby conceded. Hearing him tell me I was correct for the second time in as many minutes made me appreciate how lovely the Irish accent is. So, how do we get them on then? We'll need a member of the crew to turn them on for us, I think. We can get another to stand up on the fly floor and take a look if we can see them, I answered, with relief that I wasn't going to have to take another trip up the ladder. I'll go speak to Dot. She'll be able to sort something out for us. I wasn't wrong. Or, as O'Ralby had become so enamoured of saying, I was right. <laughs> Dot had an intercom system in her office which she used to summon some of the stagehands. The shock of Daisy's death had clearly affected her. She was only smoking two cigarettes when I popped in. You go back to the stage, Mr. Artridge. I'll send along BV and Flipper to help you out. Flipper? Who or what is Flipper? Dot rolled her eyes at me. Flipper does the lights. Oh, very clever. You call him Flipper because he's always flipping switches? No, we call him Flipper because he has whiskers like a seal and can balance a ball on his nose. Before you ask, we call BV... BV... Because his name is Ben Venn. Do you need me to draw a diagram? She said dismissively and then held down a button on the console off to one side and spoke into the microphone. BV and Flipper to the stage, please. BV and Flipper to the stage. I returned to the auditorium and it wasn't long before we were joined by BV and Flipper, who did indeed have a smattering of long, thin white whiskers under his nose that grew out horizontally like a seal's. He also had incredibly long, flat hands, which didn't hurt the comparison. BV was average height, with mid-length brown hair. The noteworthy aspect of his appearance were the two large gold hoop earrings he wore. Maybe he was one of those chaps who likes wearing women's clothing. Or perhaps he was a pirate. 
He saw me observing them and took a languid pull on his cigarette. I just like hoop earrings. I'm not a pirate and I don't wear dresses, so don't ask, all right? I wouldn't dream of it. What do you need then? He asked. Ah, we're trying to recreate the conditions when Miss Love was struck by the sandbag and we realised we'd need the stage lights on for that, cut in O'Rowby, taking full credit for my bright idea. Is there a switch at one of the sides or something? Ha, he'd got his comeuppance there. It was all I could do to stifle a laugh at the uncultured oaf, not knowing that the sides of the stage aren't called sides, but rather the feathers of the stage. Do you mean the wings, Inspector? Corrected BV, which of course is what I meant. The wings, the wings of the stage. Nah, Flipper will have to fire up the desk and get him on. Won't take a minute. Why did Dot ask for both of us then? Flipper hopped down from the stage apron and ambled off between the seats towards a different ladder at the back of the auditorium and started climbing without a word. The ladder led to what I realised was a small control room with a large window facing the stage. I explained the rest of our plan to BV. We want to see if it's possible to tell if someone's on the gantry. The fly floor? I added, keen to show I knew the lingo. From down here when the lights are on. So wondered if you'd be okay nipping up there and taking a walk about. Right you are. You ready to power on, Flipper? He called across the auditorium. There was no response from the control room, but the lighting grid flared into life. What state do you want? asked BV over his shoulder as he made his way up the ladder. I wasn't 100% sure what that meant, so gestured to O'Rowby to field the question. State? Do you mean province? I'm from Ulster. Or do you mean US states? I family in Massachusetts. Does that help? He garbled. What? No, lighting state. What lighting state do you want? replied BV with a snort, now stood up on the gantry. Yes, he meant lighting state, Inspector? I chipped in. Can we see how it was when the sandbag fell, please? I shouted up. I think that's LX58, Flip! Some of the lights above the stage went out and others came on, throwing a warm glow over the area closest to the audience. Downstage, I believe. <laughs> yeah, that's it! Who's this? O'Rowby and I could plainly see BV capering about way up amongst the rafters. He was actually cutting the corners where the pathways met and stepping out over nothing at all. It made my stomach flip just watching it. The inspector and I shared a look before the Irishman yelled up. That's grand. Thank you. We've learned what we needed to. Kill it, flipper. Hollered BV, followed by going dark. At which point the entire theatre was plunged into total disorientating blackness before the working lights flickered back on. BV had made his way to the ladder in the dark and now had both his feet on the outside of the rungs and was sliding down. The man clearly didn't value his life. He made it to the ground level in a matter of seconds and reached a hand down from the stage to help Flipper up, who had clearly made a similarly speedy exit from the control booth. Are you two done then? It's getting late. We're going home. O'Rowby and I left too, with the inspector quickly ducking his head into Dot's smoke-filled office to request that all principal members of the company be available for further interview tomorrow. Outside the theatre, night had fallen, and the stars were just visible through the light given off by the street lamps and storefronts blazing away with their late openings, ready for the Christmas rush. Do you fancy a drink, Artridge? O'Rowby asked. Talk the thing over, like. Despite a rocky start, I'd warned to the inspector, and the idea of a quick splash of scotch before heading home was pleasant. There's a decent boozer around the corner. The Duke of Corland. We'll go there. I groaned a little as I foresaw Jimmy McMickle forcing a pint of his famous cider upon me and my wished-for whiskey whisked away from me. What's wrong? Do you not like the pub? No, no, it's not that. The Corland is perfect. It was quite busy inside, but Jimmy quickly cleared off some younger drinkers to make way for his special guests and plonked down two ciders, my usual, with a wink before we'd even ordered. 
O'Rowby took a sip. Oh, Christ, do you like this stuff? He's a friend, I explained with a shrug. Now I understand the groan. Ah, well, it'll do. Right, here's the way I see it. Daisy Love's death was not accidental, and, given what we've just seen, there's no way someone down below couldn't have seen who it was that severed the rope, which means either nobody thought to look up when it happened, which seems far-fetched, or someone is lying. I think you're right. Now, don't make me regret asking this, and it's only because Christmas is approaching so everyone's on leave and we're understaffed that I'm even thinking it. But this looks like it could be murder, and I could do with an assistant. Would you be up for helping me, Artridge? Don't get any funny ideas, mind. You work for me. I'm the inspector. You're the dog's body, right? And that was how I ended up with a charming Irish assistant helping me investigate the murder of Daisy Love and the intrigue that came after. Crime Clues and Christmas is a New Old Friends production, part of the Comedy Who Done It's For Your Ears podcast series. Written and performed by Fergus Woods Dunlop and Heather Westwell, with sound and music by Fred Riding. New Old Friends gratefully acknowledge the support of Arts Council England in making Comedy Who Done It's For Your Ears. Mm-hmm.